0: Chapter Seven of That Office Boy by Francis J. Fennessy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. James Connell goes to confession, thereby saving two detectives considerable trouble. On Friday morning, two days after the little affair on Broadway, Master Michael Desmond and Miss Lily McCabe were hard at it, counting, cutting, and sorting coupons. They had been doing a land office business, and in the doings had become fast friends. Michael showed his growing esteem for the prefect of the young lady's sodality by various references to her height. He was curious to know whether, when she stood erect, she found any difference in the thermometer, whether her head wasn't much cooler than her feet, whether, when at table with her family, it was ever necessary, with her long reach, to have any dish passed to her, whether she generally had to stoop when entering ordinary doorways to all of which Miss McCabe deigned no reply. "'I say, Miss 6 foot Three. he began after a term of counting coupons, "'did you see the article about Father Donnell in yesterday's starboard?' "'No. What was it about?' "'It said he was a hero.' "'A hero?' "'Yes. The headline read, "'Father Donnell St. Xavier's a hero. Puts one over on the police. Stops a near-right with a few words.' And then the reporter tells how two thousand boys started roughhouse while they were waiting to get vaccinated. Two thousand boys, echoed the prefect. That's the way the paper figured it, and it said how Officer Jones came along and was powerless to do anything. Then he sent for help, and four more policemen came along, and they couldn't do anything. Then Lieutenant Gildia came along, and when the niggers saw him, the Bucktown crowd, they all disappeared and went somewhere else to examine their consciences." "'I wonder why,' exclaimed the prefect. "'You needn't wonder,' said Michael with enthusiasm. "'Lieutenant Gilded knows every tough nigger in the district. "'When anything goes wrong amongst them, he just sails in, generally all by himself, "'and yanks out the fellows who have caused the trouble. "'They never show any fight to him.' "'And why not?' "'I guess they've seen him in action too often. "'There's not much of him.' I guess that in size he's one of the smallest men on the force, but what there is of him is all there. He is not afraid of anything, and those niggers know it. "'I think I've seen him,' said the prefect. "'He looks small for a policeman, and has a cheerful face, always ready to smile, and a small, grizzled moustache. "'That's him. He lives on Pioneer, and all the kids swear by him. Even the niggers, the good ones, like him. "'Well, Michael, what else did the paper say?' Oh, it told how three drunken men came along, and one of them, a big fat fellow, name not known, began saying things against the school, and a fellow about twenty-four named Jim White. Do they have that name in? cried Miss McCabe. They sure did. Brother Fat started that. Anyhow, they said that Jim White was probably a professional prize-fighter. Lily McCabe's laugh rang out loud and clear. Well, this Jim White broke through the crowd and let fly with one fist after the other at the big man, and down he went like a 9 pin. Then this here Jim White helped him up and turned him round and sent him flying. Jim White disappeared somehow or other before Jones could get him. Jones is still looking for him. And is that all? asked Lily. Oh, no. The paper says that everybody started in for a free-for-all fight and that boulders were flying. That is a lie cried the indignant prefect. "'I know it is, but that's what the paper said.' And suddenly, in the midst of it all, Father Donnell appeared. As soon as they saw him, everything stopped. Father Donnell raised his hand and all got down on their knees to receive his blessing. "'Oh,' cried Lily. "'There is a good big whopping lie for you,' commented Michael, "'but that's what the paper said. It also said that the fat man lost his coupons. "'I guess that's true.' I was there myself when Father Donnell came. You know, I went over for him and brought him down. He stood there watching those boys till every last one of them was vaccinated and went home. And from the time he came and Lieutenant Gildea loaded up the patrol wagon, it was like a Sunday school meeting when there's an ice cream treat. I suppose everybody on Broadway and Pioneer Street, not to speak of the other streets nearby, was there to see the fun. Yes, assented Michael. Everybody in the neighborhood for four blocks round knew what was going on except one. Who was that? Dr. Lindsay. He was so busy vaccinating the bunch and keeping his eyes on the kids in his office, he had them in six at a time, that he didn't know there was any trouble going on till it was all over. Trouble? Who said trouble? exclaimed Jerry, entering the open doorway. It's myself that's in trouble, if it comes to that. You needn't look so sad, Jimmy White, said Michael. That fat fellow's laying for you. He says he can lick too like you when he's sober. "'Oh, bother that fat fellow. If he's laying for me, it's to be ready to run when he sees me coming. But I'm afraid I'll be arrested. The Sunflower People say that the fellow named Jimmy White stole over 1,000 of their coupons. Sure, I never gave his coupons a thought. And they've got detectives out. They have? Yes, there were two down in the boiler room to see me a minute ago. "'Great Scott!' cried Michael. "'Yes, and they wanted to know if I knew of anybody in the parish of the name of Jimmy White. I told them I did not. They asked me whether I was over at the row on Wednesday, and I said I was. "'You did?' cried Michael. "'Of course I did. Did you want me to lie?' "'Oh, go on,' growled Michael with an air of resignation. "'They asked me next if I saw the fellow named White when he started in to knock the fat man out, and I said I did not.' "'There's a lie for you,' said Michael. "'Wira,' shouted Jerry, then several times. "'Did you think I was carrying a looking-glass with me "'and looking at myself between the licks and kicks? "'I said that I'd seen White's arms and legs, "'but that I got no chance to see his face.' "'The absolute truth,' laughed Miss McCabe. "'And,' continued Jerry, the look of anxiety on his face "'giving way to a smile, which developed into a tremendous laugh.' "'I told them that if I ever met Jimmy White face to face, "'I'd bundle him off to the station meself.' "'Well, what are you afraid of?' asked the prefect. "'Those detectives don't suspect you.' "'But they will find out. "'Every child in the school knows that meself and Jim White are the same, "'and Lieutenant Gildia has known it all along. "'I'll bet the lieutenant knows if it comes to that who took the coupons, too. "'He took in everything.' in it, Michael.' And this Michael was wrong, as he found out a few minutes later, when no less a person than Brother Fat presented himself at the office. Brother Fat, aged twelve, was a very slim, wiry youth, with auburn hair, kindly eyes, a good-natured mouth, a freckled face, and the most expressive features of any boy in attendance at St. Xavier's school. Looking at him on occasion, one could see his expression go, with lightning-like rapidity, from grave to gay, from lively to severe. In proper circumstances, Father Kearney had seen that face of his run through the gamut of emotions. Brother Fat knew every dog between his home and Sycamore Street, all of the children and nearly every Negro. His acquaintance was large, and to tell the truth, indiscriminate. He had a smile and a word for every man, woman, and child he met. His friends in the fire department were legion. He was on speaking terms with the chief of police. Councilman Monaghan was a trusted friend. On the occasion of his present appearance, Brother Fat's face was filled with woe. Michael, he said in a stage whisper, come out here a minute. I want to speak to you private. Michael promptly arose and followed the mysterious Brother Fat into the vestibule. Say, Mike, he said in sepulchral tones, I went to confession yesterday. No doubt you needed it, said the unsympathetic Michael. "'Why, I reckon every boy in the school went yesterday afternoon. "'They always do before the first Friday. "'I heard some of the sodality ladies say last night "'that the boys all took about twice as long as usual.' "'The priest I went to,' continued Brother Fat, "'in deep sadness of tone and face, "'kept me in for over ten minutes. "'My knees are sore yet.' "'Well, what about it?' Sh. "'Brother Fat's face grew darkly tragic.' He looked him up, and he looked him down, and he looked him all around. Then, from the inside pocket of his little coat, he drew a package. "'There they are,' he muttered, holding the package in his hand. "'What?' "'The coupons that guy had when Jerry landed on his jaw.' "'Great Scott!' cried Michael. "'Shh, not so loud. When the guy hit the ground, I was just behind him.' His hand with the coupons as he came down nearly got me in the nose, and I just reached out and grabbed the coupons and beat it for home. You did? Yes, continued the sad-eyed brother Fat. I was going to give him in a hundred or so at a time, but the confessor said Nix. Couldn't you give him to the poor? suggested Michael. There's a lot of poor boys in this school. The confessor said those coupons belonged to the sunflowers and they should be returned to them. I guess he's right, said Michael, taking the package of coupons in his hand and looking at them sorrowfully. So you'd better run down to their office in the traction building and hand him over. Who, me? cried Brother Fat, his face alive with indignation, and his lip curling with scorn at the suggestion. Not on your life. I'd like to see myself going down there and explaining how it all happened. Don't talk so loud, warned Michael. Look, he continued, see those two men coming in? When Michael turned his gaze from the two men, he was amazed to discover no trace of Brother Fat. That versatile youth recognized at a glance detectives Sweeney and Hill. There were few plain-clothes men whom he did not know by sight and by name. Slipping the suspicious packet into his pocket, Michael gazed with no little consternation at the approaching visitors. His heart beat fast. He felt like a pickpocket caught in the act. "'Good morning,' said Detective Hill. "'Is the principal of the school in?' "'Yes,' said Michael, with almost too much eagerness. "'You'll find him in his office. "'Step just this way.' And Michael escorted the two sleuths into the presence of Father Donnell. Also, he thoughtfully left the door open. Michael's curiosity, in the circumstances, was justifiable. The two men began by questioning the simple father about the vaccination events— His answers were direct, to the point. At length Detective Hill said, "'The fact is, Father, over one thousand coupons belonging to the sunflowers are lost, or, as is more probable, stolen. There's a fellow named Jim White who, it is thought, knows all about those coupons. Do you know Jim White?' "'No,' Father Dunnell made answer. "'There is no person of my acquaintance answering to that name.' "'Well, then, answer me this.' "'continued Detective Hill earnestly. "'Do you happen to know who it was that attacked, "'knocked down, and afterwards kicked Tom Roden? "'That's the name of the fat fellow who lost the coupons. "'Do you know who it was?' "'Father Donnell rose, cleared his throat, "'folded his hands, looked meditatively at the ceiling, "'then, permitting his eyes to rest on Detective Hill, he said, "'Excuse me, but aren't you a Catholic?' "'I'm proud to say, Father, I'm a convert.' Now, how long was it since your last confession? Then Michael had five minutes of sheer glee, while Father Dinell, having thus turned the table, put the two detectives through a spiritual third degree. When both of them had solemnly promised to go to confession on the following Saturday, they arose and showed some eagerness to get away. Taking no notice of their dispositions, Father Dinell gravely went on to give them a sermon, practical, to the point, and, we may believe, efficacious. The two were glad to go. "'I say,' observed Michael casually, as they came into his office, "'are you looking for those coupons that the fat guy lost?' "'Yes,' cried both in a breath. "'Here they are, one thousand twenty-one. Count them.' "'Where did you get them?' said Hill. "'When the fat guy went down for the count,' said Michael, "'the coupons were in his hand, and somebody just took em off. "'They might have been lost, you know.' "'Precisely,' said Sweeney with tremendous earnestness. "'How thoughtful! They might have been lost. "'So I brought him to me this morning to have him sent to the sunflowers.' "'Was it a St. Xavier schoolboy?' asked Hill. "'If I answer that, will you stop your questions?' "'Yes.' "'Well, it was a St. Xavier boy.' "'And do you mean to tell me,' said Sweeney, that any St. Xavier schoolboy with a thousand coupons in his possession would pass them over to the Sunflowers instead of to his own school? "'That's just what he's done,' said Michael. "'In this school, our boys are all just like that.'" "'Yesterday,' resumed Hill, after a slight pause, "'was Thursday, the eve of First Friday. Did the boys go to confession?' "'Every mother's son of em, said Michael. "'Oh!' cried Sweeney. That explains it. "'I understand,' said Michael demurely, "'that you two are thinking of going yourselves.' "'Next Saturday,' came the voice of Father Donnell from the inner office. "'Father Donnell was supposed to be deaf. "'Next Saturday at four o'clock.' "'We ought to go after this,' said Hill, holding up the package. "'And, by the way, my boy, you may tell Jerry not to worry about Jim White.' Now that we've got the coupons, we're not bothering about Jim White anymore. "'And what has that got to do with Jerry?' asked Michael. The detectives looked at each other and laughed. "'Ask Jerry what skinned his knuckles,' said Hill. "'You may tell him that the sunflower officers say that their fat friend got exactly what was coming to him. He's discharged. The sunflowers are a pretty decent set.' "'Oh, I guess they're all right,' admitted Michael. "'Yes.' "'And one word of advice,' continued Sweeney. "'Drop this contest. You haven't the ghost of a show.' "'I should say not,' cried Michael indignantly. "'I say, Miss McCabe,' continued the office boy, "'when the two detectives had gone their ways, "'it takes Father Donnell to handle these people. "'Those two went in to cross-examine Father Donnell. "'He showed them that two could play at that game. "'Yesterday a woman came with blood in her eye.' She laid into Father Donnell just fierce. She was talking about the way the brothers treated her boy, Tommy. Tommy, you know, has been up in the juvenile court three times in the last two years. Once for breaking into a candy store, once for riding off on a bicycle that belonged to some other fellow, and once for playing truant for two months straight. All the same, that mother of his told Father Donnell that there wasn't a more angelic and more abused boy in the city of Cincinnati than her, Tommy. Then she laid into the brothers— then she took an inning out of Father Carney. By the way, he's sitting up today. And then she got down to Father Donnell. And didn't Father Donnell have anything to say? Inquired Lily. He just let her run on till she got out of breath, and then he said, "Madam, do you ever say your beads?" "You don't say!" exclaimed Lily. She got dumb at once. Then Father Donnell went at her again. "Madam," he says. Have you got a pair of beads? She said she hadn't, and Father Donnell took out a new pair, blessed them, gave them to her, and told her to say them every day. And the next thing you know, out she came with her mouth open, and her head down, and the beads in her hand. She was perfectly dumb. She came for a fight, and she got a pair of beads. It took all the wind out of her sails. Hello, here comes Miss Tennyson. Good morning, Miss Tennyson. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Miss McCabe. "'You are just the two I wanted to see.' "'And how are the coupons coming in?' asked Lily, as she shook hands cordially with the young domestic. "'Very well. And how are they coming in for me down here?' "'Only fair,' answered Lily. "'You see, the Sodality girls know Miss Corbett and Miss Rayburn because both are members—good members, too. So all the girls are working very hard for them. In fact, I feel quite sure they both will win.' But you see, not all are working for you. It's only natural, said Miss Tennyson, and I'm very grateful for what you are doing. If it weren't for your sodality, I would withdraw right now. They're making a tremendous fight against me. Indeed? Yes. If you don't mind, I'll tell you all about it. Suppose we sit down. I've my scissors with me, and we can work while we talk. I see you're practical, said Lily. The three drew their chairs around Michael's desk, and with various interruptions in the shape of mothers and book agents to see Father Donnell, and of men, women, and children coming in with coupons, Miss Tennyson told her tale. "'To begin with,' she said, "'up to one year and a half ago I was a stenographer in Dayton.' "'And now you are domestic,' said Lily tentatively. "'I left school for a stenographer's position, and held it till I met.' Here her voice grew soft. "'Tom.' "'Oh, yes, of course,' said Michael with subtle irony. "'Then everything, sonography included, was off.' "'Not in the way you think, young man. "'Tom and I became engaged three months after our acquaintance.' "'How sweet,' apostrophized the office boy. "'Michael,' remonstrated Lily, glaring at him, "'if you don't keep a civil tongue in your head, "'I'll drop you out the window.' "'Well, it was sweet.' Growled Michael. Now, as soon as I became engaged, I began to take stock of myself. It was an easy matter. I knew a little music, I had taken the piano for five years, a little algebra, a little English, and a little bookkeeping. But I did not know how to cook, sew, or keep house. Oh, I began to see, said the prefect. My parents were poor, and there are five or six children younger than I, Well, I waited long enough to get my sister next to me in age, in my position, and I then came straight to Cincinnati. I had made up my mind that I would not marry Tom till I knew how to cook and sew and keep house the right way. You see, I happen to know several girls up our way, who married without being prepared for it. People wonder why their young husbands are always hanging around saloons or dining out at clubs. I know why. It's one of those things that every woman ought to know. "'Miss Tennyson?' cried Lily impulsively, you're a girl after my heart. So you became a domestic to learn the ropes. I came to Cincinnati for that purpose, but I was unlucky at the start. I didn't know anyone, and I went to an employment bureau. They got five dollars from me under false pretenses. It seems, too, they were swindling and imposing on any number of country girls. I didn't mind the five dollars so very much, but I was angry when I learned from other poor girls how they had been treated so I got a lawyer, a friend of the family, to attend to them. They're doing business yet, but they are honest now, they have to be. But the woman who runs it has not forgotten me. Her name is Mrs. Jane Rockefeller. She's a widow. Any relations of Standard Oil? queried Michael. I believe not. In fact, I doubt whether that's her real name at all. Well, she's put up a rival candidate, Miss Florence Bigby, "'and she's got over a dozen employment agencies "'and a woman's home, and I don't know what all, "'working for Miss Bigby. "'She was good enough to say that she was going to defeat me "'if it were the last thing she ever did. "'Oh, she is, is she?' exclaimed Lily. "'Well, of all the things I ever heard, "'the idea, that's what I call spite. "'By working tooth and nail, "'the Rockefeller woman, I believe, "'without saying anything openly, "'is doing all she can to prejudice others against me.' "'Well, we can work in the other way,' said Lily. "'We can do all we can to make others think well of you. "'And we'll do it. "'Michael, what are you fidgeting about?' "'I'm wondering if they made out the count yet. "'You know we brought down eight thousand coupons yesterday for ourselves. and today's Starboard they're going to announce the standing of all "'in the thousand-dollar piano contest.' "'Perhaps you call up the contest, editor,' suggested the prefect." michael with pencil and paper closed himself in the booth he came out a few minutes later holding the paper and trying to look unconcerned listen he said then he went on to read the one thousand dollar piano contest begun two days before the other contests is on with a swing votes are thick as leaves in valambrosa the contest promises to be the most exciting ever held in this city it is impossible at this stage of the game even to hazard a guess as to the winner all have a fighting chance. Owing to a private understanding with the contestants, we are able to make a preliminary announcement of the votes. Hereafter, the announcements of the voting will be made on Wednesdays only. Names of popularity contestants. Votes. Don't Worry Club, 572. White Mice, 1,947. Eastern Stars, 4,500. Women's Club, 4,700. Ancient order of sunflowers, eight thousand two hundred, young lady satality nine thousand four hundred and sixty, first blood for us, cried Lily, whoop, shouted Michael, End of Chapter seven.